Good evening and welcome again to our Bible study series. We're studying the book of Acts, and we have now come to chapter 2, the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. And just want to make a few remarks uh, by way of introduction. You know, we all, I think, want to love Jesus, and we sing songs about how much we love Jesus, but I, I like to remind myself from time to time, Jesus is the Word of God. And I think one simple practical way that we can kind of measure our love for the Lord Jesus is our love for the Word of God, our devotion to the Word of God. And if you want to get closer to Jesus, get closer to the Word. Dig into the Word, study the Word, memorize the Word, um, love the Word more than anything else. Job said, I've esteemed your Word more than my necessary food. He would even lay aside his food from time to time just because of his hunger for the truth of God's Word. So want to thank you for joining us in this Bible study and encourage you to keep digging into the Word of God. It, it is so marvelous, the things that God shows us when we get into His Word. Also, I want to remind any that might just be joining us that all of the notes and recordings of these studies are made available uh, in several different ways. They are recorded on MixLR, which is an online uh, program, and you can simply go to MixLR.com and look for New Life Ministries, that's our broadcast name, and all of the studies we've ever done uh, should be listed there. And those studies are also uploaded to our website, which is new-life-ministries.org, uh, both the audio recordings as well as notes for this and any other previous studies that we've done in recent years. The simplest way of all, if you have a smartphone, is to subscribe to the podcast for New Life Ministries. Uh, the nice thing about that is you automatically get the updates each time a new recording is posted there or any of the notes that are added, you will automatically get those files onto your phone and then you can either print them out or put them on other devices. So anyway, there are a variety of ways and we want to encourage you to get the notes ahead of time so you can be following along in those notes and any of the sessions that you might miss, you can always go back and catch up on those. If you are following in the notes, we've come to part three uh, in what will ultimately be a 12-part uh, series. Part three is entitled Pentecost and the Birth of the Church, and we've just started to get into chapter two, a very, very important portion of scripture. And, you know, quite by accident, I discovered this week just turning on the Christian radio and my travels up, out and about, uh, two well-known uh, Bible teachers slash pastors, I won't mention their names, but I found it interesting that both of them 
are also doing series on the book of Acts. I didn't know that at the time I started, but I found it interesting that it seems the Holy Spirit is saying something to the churches. And that's what is repeated seven times in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. He that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Not what the preacher is saying, not what the radio or the TV is saying. What is the Holy Spirit saying to the churches in this hour? And I believe there are some very important things in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us. And as I've been mentioning, although the book of Acts is a nice study in church history, probably the first 30 years of church history from its very birth here in chapter 2, fast-forwarding about 30 years. But my purpose in doing this study has never been just to fill our heads with facts and figures and more information about church history. That's fine if we learn a few new details. But the real thrust of this study is I believe God wants to stir us up to move in the same spirit, the same anointing, the same power, the same boldness that we're going to be reading about in the book of Acts. And the same miracles, signs, and wonders, and church growth that they experienced in the book of Acts. This is my heart's cry. I want to see this power, this manifestation of God's glory, and His wonder-working Uh, saving grace and power as what we are going to be studying in this book. So please pray over these portions of Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to stir your heart, stir your heart to really pray for the church. God, raise up your church in these last days, a glorious, radiant, power-filled, spirit-filled, spirit-led church, just like the one we're reading about in the book of Acts. I want to begin tonight by reading again just the opening four verses of Acts chapter 2, and then we want to move right in from where we left off last time. When the day of Pentecost came, or had fully come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Very quickly, we've learned there were about 120 believers in the upper room waiting Jesus had told them specifically, sit down, wait here, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued, clothed, filled with power from on high. For you will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift, the promise of the Father. I want to point out again tonight because we're going to talk more now about this verse 4, how they began to speak in other tongues. We've not said much about tongues yet, 
because Jesus never told them anything about tongues. He didn't say, sit down and wait until you all speak in tongues. No, he said, wait until you're filled with power. The emphasis wasn't on the tongues. The emphasis was on the power. And power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and on to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the real emphasis up until now has been wait for the power that the Holy Spirit will fill you with. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the gift, the promise of my Father. And when you do, you won't have any doubt in your mind because you're going to be filled with power, dunamis, dynamic, dynamite power is going to come upon you when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they waited in obedience for about 10 days. They were all there in one accord, praying, waiting, seeking the Lord, and then suddenly out of nowhere, like a mighty rushing wind with tongues of fire that were visible, they saw and heard these things. This wasn't some imaginary vision that one or two of them had. They actually heard the sound, they felt the blowing of this violent wind, and they saw tongues of fire, and then the next thing, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, and only then, do we find any mention of this manifestation speaking in other tongues. Now, if you're with me in the outline, we're on page 23, Part D, where it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll see later in this chapter an emphasis again that the promise of the Holy Spirit was not just for the apostles. It wasn't just for pastors or full-time ministers. The promise of the Spirit is for every single believer. God didn't give the gift to some and withhold it from others. He's no respecter of persons. He doesn't do things like that. The promise is for everyone. And Jesus, in Luke's gospel, remember Luke wrote the gospel that bears his name, as well as the book of Acts. Here's what Luke records in his gospel, Luke 11, verse 13. Jesus told them, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, really, the only prerequisite to receiving this gift is, of course, you're a child of God. This gift is for his children. You've been born again. You've repented of sins, received Christ as your Savior. You've been born from above. You, you, you have the Spirit of Christ in you. Now the Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to any of his children who ask him. And Jesus said it a little bit differently in the Gospel, <coughs> Gospel of John, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 7, a passage we've read repeatedly. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone... There it is again. Anyone is thirsty. 
Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So what happened on the day of Pentecost had never happened before. Because only now is the Spirit being given in this new way that they're going to experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Something had to happen first. Jesus had to be glorified. That means he had to be crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead, and actually ascending back to the Father, exalted to the right hand of the Father. Then and only then was the Holy Spirit sent. Now, they saw visibly tongues of fire resting on each one, and then immediately thereafter, they were baptized in the Spirit and actually began to speak in other tongues. Interesting that there was a graphic demonstration of these tongues of fire hinting at what had been predicted, a baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire, and then immediately thereafter, they actually began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And we read a number of references last time. Uh, in Mark 16, Jesus said, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. In Acts 10, uh, the first sign that God was also visiting the Gentiles was when Peter was still speaking to them in the house of Cornelius, the Spirit of God fell on every one of them, and they all began speaking in tongues and praising God. And other references in the book of Acts that we'll eventually come to where we also find that. But I now want to go in some more depth, because it's such a controversial issue, and I find a lot of confusion amongst Christians about it. So I want to try to... Uh, clarify some of these things and perhaps eliminate some of the confusion about this thing we call speaking in tongues. Let's start, and if you're trying to follow me in the notes, we're now on page 24, um, item number 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11. Now, to each one, those are important words, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That word manifestation uh, is related to words like exhibition or display. This is something that's going to be evident. It's not some imaginary thing or something that you have in your mind. This is going to be a manifestation outwardly that other people can see or hear. He says everyone is given that. Every, every believer, every member of the body of Christ, in context he's talking about the body, 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then he's going to list, list some of the different ways in which the Holy Spirit manifests himself. These are sometimes referred to as the gifts of the Spirit. But in the context here, he's specifically talking about manifestations, ways that the Holy Spirit is going to manifest his presence in a believer's life. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message or word of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between or discerning of spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one, just as He determines. He gives them, these are gifts, just as He determines. It's not as you and I determine. These are things that are decided by the Holy Spirit. So when a person receives the baptism in the Holy Spirit, he is guaranteed, according to Paul here, that one, at least one of these manifestations of the Spirit will be clearly seen in that believer's life. It's, a, it's an evidence, it's a, a proof, if you will, that the Holy Spirit has truly come. He doesn't say some, he says each one, and he repeats it twice. All these are the work of the same Spirit, he gives them to each one, just as he determines. So we're not going to teach on these gifts or manifestations, but obviously these are things that you can clearly see, hear, recognize the power of God is being displayed, the wisdom of God is being displayed. These are not things you can fake or make up. These are real manifestations of God himself. Divine revelation, divine wisdom and knowledge being spoken out. Um, Certainly none of us in ourselves has the power to heal anyone of sickness. This is a gift, and actually it's in the plural. Gifts, different kinds of gifts of healing, all manifested through the Holy Spirit. Miraculous powers, prophecy, being able to discern spirits, being able to recognize unseen things. Spirits are invisible but you can recognize even the unseen with this supernatural gift or manifestation of the Spirit. So, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is now going to be manifesting Himself in at least one 
perhaps more than one, of these manifestations that Paul lists here. Then in the very next chapter, in 1 Corinthians 13, he refers again specifically to this one speaking in tongues. Now, here's where some people will get hung up. What we just read in 1 Corinthians 12, these are specific manifestations of the Spirit, specific gifts of the Holy Spirit that are divided or distributed as the Holy Spirit determines. I think I'll be able to show you clearly tonight that there's a difference between the individual speaking in tongues that every believer is guaranteed and the gift of speaking in tongues in the church that also needs this other gift of interpretation. The gift of tongues, when it's operating in the church, it must be interpreted, or Paul says, sit down and keep quiet, because nobody's going to understand if you're giving a public message in tongues, they're not going to understand what the message is. Now, more about that in a few minutes. In 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to go 12, 13, 14 in 1 Corinthians. In 13, he again refers to tongues in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So, Paul is referring quite regularly, particularly in the book of Corinthians, to this phenomenon of speaking in tongues. But when we come to chapter 14, numerous references are made to tongues, and we need to study each one of them carefully to be able to try to understand what Paul is actually saying here. And so, we're going to start from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, and basically read through this entire chapter, stopping from time to time and pointing out certain things. And if you're following in the notes, certain portions I've highlighted in bold to try to draw particular attention to what Paul is saying there. We'll start from verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So the things we read about in chapter 12, he's now telling them, desire these things. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 1, he started off writing to them saying, the church should come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of the Lord. So, these are not uh, luxury items. These gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit are essential for the church's preparation for the coming of the Lord. One way of looking at them, they're the adornments that God is giving to the bride so that she will pre be prepared for her wedding day. Follow the way of love 
and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. Now, we got to stop already. We're going to go back to Acts 2 after we finish looking at 1 Corinthians 14, but we might as well mention this now. On the day of Pentecost, all 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all were speaking in tongues. Now, God had so designed and planned this whole event that on the day of Pentecost, there would be representative Jews from all of the nations in the known world at that time. They were all in Jerusalem, presumably for Passover, and many of them had stayed on for that extra 50 days, right up until the Feast of Pentecost. So you have Jews from all these different countries that have come as pilgrims to Jerusalem. They will eventually be going back to their countries. And they have not only the Hebrew language as their tongue, but they've learned the tongues of the other nations they've come from. So on the day of Pentecost, the tongues that the 120 believers were speaking in were actually known languages, not learned languages, known languages. What do I mean by that? Peter didn't learn how to speak Arabic, if he was indeed speaking Arabic. There were Jews from Arabia who had come to Jerusalem. They heard somebody speaking in Arabic. Well, they didn't learn the language. They were speaking supernatural languages as the Spirit enabled them. So these were known languages, but not languages that they had learned. So, keep that in the back of your mind as we're trying to work through these verses in 1 Corinthians 14. Back to verse 2. Paul says here, Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Now, we're going to learn later on that there is a different scenario. When someone with the gift of tongues, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, stands up in the church and delivers a message in tongues, indeed, everybody in the church will understand what he's saying, because someone else will have the gift of interpretation of tongues. This is a different thing that Paul is talking about here in verse 2. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. He's not talking about a message to the church here. He's talking about a communication between his spirit and God. No one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Verse 3, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. 
verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, some people twist these verses and say, see, Paul was against tongues. He's trying to tell the people, stop speaking in tongues, just prophesy. Because if you speak in tongues, nobody's going to understand you. Well, we can shoot that out of the water with the very next verse. Verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. <laughs> Pretty clear. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. I will, I will suggest that 1 Corinthians 14 makes absolutely clear and logical sense if you understand one basic truth. Paul is talking about two different venues here. He's talking about an individual in his prayer closet praying to God in tongues versus someone in a church gathering where two or three or more have gathered together as a church. Two totally different scenarios. If you're all alone in your prayer closet, Paul says, go for it. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Because when you do, verse 4, you're edifying yourself. And when you're alone with God speaking in tongues, you're not talking to men. You're communicating directly to God. What a beautiful thing. You're speaking to God. No one else understands you, only God. And you're uttering mysteries with your spirit through the Holy Spirit. So, on the surface, it seems Paul is saying it's better to prophesy than to speak in tongues. Yes, in the church. Unless... You give a message in tongues in the church, then somebody must interpret so that the church can understand and be edified. But, go back to verse 2 again. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Notice the difference between edifying himself, and then edifying the church. If he's all alone speaking in tongues, that's good. He's edifying himself. If he's standing up on a Sunday morning in front of the whole church speaking in tongues, well, he might be edifying himself, but it's going to create confusion in the church because that does not edify the church. The key is trying to understand when is Paul talking about the individual believer praying to God versus the individual believer delivering a message in the church. And the criterion there for any gift, it should edify the church. If it doesn't edify the church, sit down and be quiet. 
All right, let's go further along. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you, he's talking about in a church meeting, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? They're not going to understand Paul if he gives a 30-minute sermon in tongues. It needs to be in intelligible words. Verse 7, Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, If the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Now, let me pause again. The reason I'm deliberately reading this entire chapter is many a war... Many a debate has been fought between different Christians, different groups, where they pick and choose their favorite verses here from 1 Corinthians 14 to try to make their case. One side will say, see, here it says, uh, I speak in tongues more than any of you. It's good. Then somebody else will quote one of these verses, how are you going to understand anything I'm saying if I come to you speaking in tongues? Well, you can take any verse out of context and try to make it prove something, but if you read this whole chapter, and as I'm suggesting, understand that there are two different scenarios in which Paul is applying these words. One is for the individual believer when he's praying in his spirit to God, The other is when there is a church gathering, and the gifts of the Spirit must edify the entire body. Speaking in tongues privately edifies that one believer, and only that believer. Speaking in tongues in a church meeting will only edify if it is interpreted. Now, let's go further. Verse 10, Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Stop. What's he talking about here? He's talking about in the church. Be eager to have spiritual gifts that are going to build up the church. The baptism in the Holy Spirit automatically gives every believer, every believer, this ability to edify himself or herself by praying in tongues to God. Okay? There are two different tongues that 
Paul is speaking about in this chapter. Let's call it the, the private gift, the prayer language, some people refer to it as. This is just you praying to God in unknown words that only God understands. Then there's the manifestation of the Spirit that is for the church. It must be interpreted. I'm sorry if I'm being redundant, but I want to go over this several times to make sure we all get this, because there's so much confusion amongst Christians, and I'm convinced if you would sit down, study this whole chapter line by line, it becomes clearer and clearer that Paul is jumping back and forth between two different situations. The individual believer talking to God and the believer in a church gathering. All right, let's go further. I think it'll become even clearer. Verse 13. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue, and in context, he's still talking about in the church. You'll see that in a minute. Anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. That is not the case if you're all alone in your prayer closet and you're speaking in tongues and you're edifying yourself, you're building yourself up in your most holy faith. As it says in Jude 20, praying in the Holy Spirit. You don't need to pray every time you speak in tongues alone for an interpretation. In the church you do. Verse 14, 4, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit. You can sing in tongues. That's called singing in the spirit. I will sing with my spirit but I will also sing with my mind. That means singing a song with known lyrics. If you are praising God with your spirit, you can praise God in tongues. But, how can one who finds himself among those, now he's not alone, he's in the company of other believers, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand, say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Verse 18 and 19 make it crystal clear. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but... In the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words. That's the key right there. When Paul is all alone, he's talking in tongues all day and all night. He's singing in tongues. He's praying in tongues. He's praising God in tongues. He's even giving thanks to God in tongues. He doesn't even know what his spirit is saying. His spirit is communicating directly with God. But when Paul steps into a church meeting, something changes. Now that he's in the church, he would rather speak five 
words in a language that the listeners are going to understand. Because he can go on for two hours singing, praying, praising God in tongues in the church meeting. He's having a wonderful time, but no one else in the church is because they don't understand what he's saying. By the way, pay pay close attention to verse 18. (laughs) Is Paul against tongues? It doesn't seem like it to me. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but not necessarily in the church when he's alone with God. Let me also go back to verse 5 again. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. That's pretty clear. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And so all of these preachers and teachers and experts that get on the TV and the radio and stand up in their pulpits and speak against the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues... I would humbly submit to you, they do not know what they're speaking about. They're not speaking according to the word of God. Paul could not have been clearer here. Speaking in tongues is a wonderful gift for the individual believer. He can speak directly to God. He's uttering mysteries from his spirit to God. And in the process, he's edifying himself. It's almost like recharging the battery on your phone or your car. Batteries wear down. And our spirit gets worn down just by the daily grind. We get worn down. We get worn out. We need to get recharged. Speaking in tongues is a marvelous gift and tool God has given to every single believer. I'll emphasize it again. Every single believer. If it was only for a select few, Paul would never have made this statement he makes in verse 5. I would like every one of you, every single believer in the Corinthian church, I want you to speak in tongues. But when you come to church, I would rather you prophesy, or if you're going to deliver a message in tongues, make sure you interpret. Back to verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's a pretty amazing statement. Was Paul against tongues? I doubt it. He's just trying to bring order in the church and clarify, make a distinction between praying in tongues to your Heavenly Father and delivering a message in tongues to the church. Let's read again from verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22. 
tongues then are a sign. Remember, Jesus taught this in Mark 16. These signs will follow them who believe. They will speak in new tongues. Tongues then are a sign. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. He clarifies again in the next verse the context in which we're now speaking. If the whole church comes together. So now we're back talking about in the church. The whole church has come together for a service, for a meeting. If the whole church comes together, and notice the next phrase, and how many? And everyone speaks in tongues. Huh. Very interesting. It was understood in Paul's day that everyone in the church did speak in tongues. They were all spirit-baptized. The whole church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyone and everyone in the church could go home to their prayer closet and speak in tongues. But, in the church meeting, he says, if the whole church comes together and everyone starts speaking in tongues, and some who do not understand, or some unbelievers, maybe new visitors or unsaved people, come in, will they not say the same thing they said on the day of Pentecost? You guys are drunk. You're out of your mind. You all are crazy. Will they not say that? Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, how many could prophesy in the Corinthian church? Apparently everybody. Everybody. If everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is the kind of evangelism I like. This is the kind of salvation I like to see. When a sinner or an unbeliever comes into a church gathering, and the Holy Spirit is moving in such power that the pastor doesn't even have to open his mouth. I don't see anything here indicating that Paul or the elder stood up and delivered a fiery sermon. No, they're just worshiping God, everybody's prophesying, and suddenly this sinner has fallen down on the ground, he's now worshiping God, and what is he exclaiming? God is really among you. Who told him that? Well, no one had to tell him. He sensed it, because... God really was there among them. This is the kind of church service we need to start praying for, where the Holy Spirit is manifested with such power, such glory. Sinners, unbelievers, newcomers, when they come in, they're immediately brought under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It says here, the secrets of his heart laid bare, he falls down. Nobody made him get down on his knees and repeat a sinner's prayer. He fell down on the ground and from his own heart began to worship God saying, Wow, 
God is really here. Next verse, 26. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, he's talking about when you meet as a church, when you come together, everyone has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. When it's a church meeting, remember, if there's a tongue, there has to be an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening, not of the individual believer. That you can do when you get home in your prayer closet. But in the church, everything must be done with this one criterion. It's for the strengthening, the edification of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. So, I may have the gift of tongues, meaning I can deliver a message in the church in tongues. However, if I stand up to the microphone and I give my message in tongues, I don't understand what I'm saying, no one else understands what I'm saying, and we wait for a few moments, and there's no interpreter in the meeting, Paul says, don't go on with more messages in tongues. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. That's interesting. Keep quiet in the church, but you can go home and keep talking to God in tongues and edify yourself. But don't do that in the church, because it's confusion. Verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes of someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn. There it is again. All can prophesy. You see, everyone in the Corinthian church was baptized in the Holy Spirit. We think this is something special nowadays, but as I've been teaching, no Holy Spirit, no church. It's understood that everyone in the church is baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaks in tongues, and can prophesy. You can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And then skipping down to verse 39. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Again, I think if you go back and read this entire chapter with the backdrop that Paul is jumping back and forth between the individual spirit-baptized believer who's in his own house talking to God versus the spirit-baptized believer who's in a Sunday morning church service. There are different rules that apply. 
When you're all alone, there's one set of rules. When you're in the church, there's a different set of rules. And the rules for the church are, it should bring edification to the church. If nobody understands what's being said, that doesn't edify, it brings confusion, and basically, it's a big waste of time. And Paul says, don't do it. God is a God of order, not a God of disorder. But let me recap a couple of things that we read here in this chapter. I believe, if you go back and study it, you can see more and more clearly that Paul makes a distinction between the individual believer speaking, praying, singing in tongues in the privacy of his or her own home for his or her own edification versus someone in the church exercising one of those nine gifts, charisma gifts, manifestation gifts that we listed in 1 Corinthians 12 in the church. If someone believes that they have that manifestation for the church, it must be interpreted. If there's no interpretation, stop speaking. If the message is interpreted, it is essentially equivalent to prophecy because an intelligible message is now coming through the Spirit to the church. It just happens to use two different individuals. One, the speaker in tongues, and secondly, the interpreter in tongues. When I first got saved, I was attending a Spirit-baptized Baptist church, believe it or not. It was a Baptist church that had been visited by the Holy Spirit, the Pap pastor and all the members of the church had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they were moving very freely in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I was a brand new Spirit-baptized believer. I was just learning about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moved. And on more than several occasions in the Sunday morning church service, there was a message that was given in tongues. On several occasions, it was actually sung in tongues. And because I know a little bit about music, I was quite taken up by all of this. I was listening intently. And I could actually tell in the one who was speaking in tongues that there was sort of like a chorus or a refrain that sounded the same, that was being repeated several times, almost like when we sing a hymn, there's a verse, chorus, another verse, the same chorus, a third verse, and the same chorus. I could tell that this was really like a song that was being sung in tongues. Lo and behold, when the song in tongues finished, there was an interpretation also sung by a different individual, and it had the same structure, like a stanza or verse, chorus, another stanza, the same chorus, a stanza, and a chorus. I'll tell you, it made a real believer out of me that these were not 
these were not things you could fake or make up. This was a very real manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We have to earnestly seek God for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the first step is to get everybody filled with the Holy Spirit. People who do not have the Holy Spirit, obviously, are going to have zero manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So we have to keep praying that everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks in other tongues, edifies themselves when they're alone with God, and then when they're in church, at least one of those manifestations listed in 1 Corinthians 12 would begin to manifest itself. Let me go through this one more time. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul makes a clear distinction between the individual who is baptized in the Holy Spirit, the very first evidence of that is speaking in tongues. He's speaking to God. Unlike what happened on the day of Pentecost, that was a very special manifestation that God did so that all the Jews in Jerusalem would realize this was God. This was a supernatural event. But thereafter, whenever people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they all spoke in other tongues. And Paul is encouraging that individual to cultivate that individual prayer language because he edifies himself, he's speaking directly to God, spirit to spirit. And by the way, the devil can't mess with your speaking in tongues because it's a direct hotline between your spirit and God. When in the church, however, not everyone will have the gift of speaking in tongues giving a message for the church in tongues, which must be interpreted, and only then will the church understand and be edified. It's very obvious that what Paul is referring to in verse 2 is not meant to be interpreted or understood. This is the believer's spirit, communicating directly to God, and thus he is being built up or edified. Let me read verse 2 again. For anyone, that means anyone, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. He's not giving a message for the church. He's talking to God. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. We're going to see next week, when we go further along in Acts 2, what happened on the day of Pentecost was a very unique event. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. But in this case, they were actually speaking to men. They were speaking to all of the Jews that were round about there in Jerusalem because... We will see that the, the Jews themselves, here's what they, they said. We hear them, referring to the 120 who had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them declaring the wonders of God. 
So they were actually delivering messages to those Jews in Jerusalem. But back to 1 Corinthians 14.2, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. See, the 120 on the day of Pentecost, a lot of people understood what they were saying. Peter didn't understand what he was saying, but there were some Jews there who did. John didn't understand what he was saying, but there were some Jews there that understood the language he was talking in. This speaking in tongues in verse 2 is a private hotline between you and God. And when I first learned about this, I'm like, God would not give that gift to someone and withhold it from someone else. If it's important for edifying yourself, then God would give it to every one of his children, which indeed he has. And verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That's when he's all alone with God, speaking in tongues. His spirit communicating directly with God. I referred to it earlier, but in Jude 20, there's only one chapter in Jude, in verse 20 it says, Praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Praying in the Spirit. We saw that expression here in 1 Corinthians 14. What it really means is praying in tongues. So when you're praying in tongues, you're building up your faith. You're recharging your spiritual battery. You're edifying yourself. Now, back to the day of Pentecost. Let me clarify this one last time, and I'm sorry if I'm doing this ad nauseum, but there's so much confusion. I'm, I'm really trying to clear this up, not only for you, but maybe God will help you to clear this confusion up for someone else who comes along with some of these arguments that we've talked about. The tongues spoken on the day of Pentecost did not need to be interpreted. Peter didn't need to wait for John to interpret him. They were speaking native languages. German, French, not that there were Germans there, but I'm giving you example. Known languages. They were speaking actual known languages known but not learned by those who were speaking them. Now, I don't know a stitch of Chinese. It'd be like me standing up in church on Sunday and talking for 30 minutes in Chinese, and I'm glorifying God and presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's something like that that happened on the day of Pentecost. And you hear modern-day testimonies of this kind of a manifestation, where missionaries are on a foreign field, and they start speaking in tongues, and they're speaking in a language that some of the native people there can immediately understand. On the day of Pentecost, the languages that were being spoken did not need interpretation. They were native languages known and understood by the Jews who were visiting Jerusalem from their respective 
foreign countries. Now, we're going to have to stop there. Uh, we'll pick it up right here next time with some final thoughts on speaking in tongues, and then we want to go back to the account in Acts 2 and follow further along what happened after this event, what happened after they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues. Let's close in prayer, and I want to encourage anyone listening tonight or even in the future that might listen to this broadcast or this recording, I want to encourage you, anybody listening to me who is a born-again child of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit has already been given to you. You don't have to beg and fast and pray and wait a hundred days or five years. The waiting is over. They did the waiting for us in the upper room. The Holy Spirit has now been given. All we have to do is receive Him by faith and understand when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to experience power and the Holy Spirit will begin to give you a new language. You still have to speak. Holy Spirit doesn't do the talking for you. They spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them or gave them the words, the utterance. So you do the speaking, the Holy Spirit gives the words. But it's a supernatural language that you have not learned. You will not understand it. Your Spirit is speaking mysteries to God. God wants every child of God to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire and to have this gift of being able to talk to God in this supernatural prayer language called tongues whereby you can be recharged every day. You're driving to work in your car. You're speaking in tongues, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, building up your most holy faith. Paul said, I thank God I talk in tongues more than all of you. He must have been talking in tongues a lot. Whenever he was alone, his spirit was praying to God. He says in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. How can you pray without ceasing in your own mind, in your own understanding? You're going to run out of words eventually, but the Holy Spirit never runs out of words. You can pray all day long. You can pray in the shower. You can pray when you're laying down in bed. You can sing in the spirit. You can praise God in the Spirit. You can give thanks to God in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is communicating to the Father in heaven, and He understands every single word that is coming from your lips. What an amazing God we serve, and what an amazing gift He has made available to each and every one of us. Let's close in prayer tonight, and really, give thanks to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, you have given us so many amazing and gracious gifts. The gift of salvation. The gift of being born again. The gift of knowing that our sins are forgiven. That, my God, would be enough for us to praise and thank you for all eternity. But you've gone way beyond that. You promised that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. You would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And 
even give us supernatural manifestations and gifts to bring glory to you and that you can use us in the church to bring blessing and edification to others. And Lord, you've given every one of us this private prayer language whereby we can edify ourselves, we can talk directly with heaven. Our spirit is communicating mysteries to the unseen, invisible God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I am praying for everyone in earshot of this Bible study. Baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Lord, let them understand the simplicity of this gift. Even a child can understand and receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit because you have already graciously given it to each and every one of us. God bless and keep every one of us. Lord, watch over us. Continue to draw us to yourself. Continue to make us hungry and thirsty for your word, for your spirit, for more of your presence and glory in our lives. And keep us until that final day when Jesus comes in glory for his bride. Make each and every one of us ready for that day we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.